0: You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network.
1: Well, hello, friends. I want to welcome you back to the Way Home podcast which uh, is proud to be on both the Dunham Audio Network and the Edify Podcast Network. If you haven't yet, I would encourage you to download the Edify app and check out The Way Home and all the other great podcasts there. Well, today I'm continuing my series on Easter to coincide with my brand new book, The Characters of Easter, The Villains, Heroes, Cowards, and Crooks Who Witnessed History's Biggest Miracle. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to order this book from your favorite retailer, whether online or in person. You can go to danieldarling.com slash Easter to get free downloadable resources for your church or for your small group. I'd love to have you study this danieldarling.com slash Easter. Okay, today my guest is a world-renowned New Testament scholar, Dr. Tom Schreiner. Dr. Schreiner is one of my favorite scholars whenever I'm studying a passage of the New Testament I am sure to try to pull up a commentary on that that is written by him if he's got one on there, or if I'm studying particularly Paul, which has been his area of focus, I'm sure to see what Dr. Schreiner has said about some of the complex theological issues. Dr. Schreiner is the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Thought at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is my alma mater. He's a widely respected scholar, is very prolific, but he's also a pastor and he writes and teaches In a way that pastors can understand. Uh, Not all academics write that way. Dr. Tom Schreiner is an exception. His work is really highly respected and yet it's very easy to read. Uh, He's got a warm heart for the church and for evangelism and for seeing people understand who Jesus is and for teaching theology. So I thought I would have him on. He's gonna talk about his conversion to Christianity, his calling into into the life of scholarship and writing. He talks about why he loves to write and how, what his method is. But most importantly, we turn our hearts toward Easter. I wanted to ask him questions about the Apostle Paul, about the resurrection, how we can be thinking about that as we meditate on the cross and the resurrection in this season. So I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Dr. Tom Schreiner. Well, I'm glad to have on the podcast for the first time, Dr. Tom Schreiner, who teaches at Southern Seminary, New Testament scholar, author. Dr. Schreiner, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it.
2: Oh, well, Dan, it's uh, great to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: Yeah. So uh, we're we're doing this special series on the resurrection as we're kind of heading into the Lent Lenten season and, and headed toward Easter. And so I want to ask you a lot of questions about that, given that you're a New Testament scholar and you've done a lot of work, particularly on, on Paul. But first, uh, I just want to, for people listening, to hear a little bit of, maybe you could share a little bit of your story of conversion and how you became a Christian and how you really became, uh, how the Lord really put a call in your life to ministry and, and into scholarship, into, into the kind of intellectual uh, scholarship uh, life. Sure. Well, I, I grew
2: up uh, right outside of Salem, Oregon. And my dad was a nurseryman, and I have seven brothers and sisters, and I grew up in a Catholic family. Mm. You know, by the time I was a teenager, pretty nominal. I was saved at the age of 17 through, you know, this is a longer story. Reading the Bible through the person who became my wife, and really uh, a, a a youth group, and. Uh, really, I, I couldn't have said that at the time, but I realized when I was saved, I was also called. I From that moment on, I, I knew I was called to some kind of ministry. I went to seminary in Portland, Oregon. I thought I was going to be a full-time pastor, and the Lord just slowly steered me to scholarship. I mean, I have pastor, too, for 17 years. Yeah. So, in in the Lord's kindness, I got to do both. But, and even when I first started teaching, I didn't, I wasn't very, I wasn't motivated to write. I just wanted to teach. But what happened is as I did a little more writing, I loved it. Yeah. And I loved it. And uh, so I've just kept doing it. So
1: Yeah. yeah, you're, you're a pastor. And a scholar. And it's cool how those things work together where, you know, we need scholars in our churches to help lift the theological literacy of our people. And who can speak to people in a way that they can understand away from the academy. And yet we also need that pastoral part in scholarship. So can you explain how those two things intertwine in your life?
2: Yeah, I, I often say the best thing I ever did for teaching at the seminary was pastor. Mm because it gave me a a sense in my teaching and my scholarship uh, a uh, a focus on what i was what i was doing in my writing now there's different kinds of writing right but i i'm writing my commentaries my books for the for the church mm-hmm. to train pastors lay leaders sunday school teachers interested lay people yeah so it it, it cast that uh, light. I suppose I could say on everything I did. It, it permeated everything I did, because otherwise, and I, I, it's not that this is a bad thing, but you can write scholarly monographs,
0: mm.
2: and we need those. But you can, uh, and it wasn't my calling. But they can be rather disconnected from the life of the church. And at the end of the day, every all truth is helpful. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed it. When I'm training the students, I know what it's like to be a pastor. You know, I know what it's like to have a church member mad at me. I know what it's like to have people leave. I know what it's like to be full of joy and excitement as the church is uh, growing and expanding and rejoicing. So that's all been really
1: helpful. That's cool. You um, you are a New Testament scholar. Was there something Along your studies and teaching and pastoring, were you just your heart warmed to study the New Testament in such a focused way?
2: Uh, When I was uh, when I finished my THM, I did my MDiv and THM. And I actually in my THM, I concentrated on the Old Testament,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. especially in Hebrew, which I still read my Hebrew every day. I love I love the Old Testament, but I thought of going now also in the systematics. I was quite influenced by a teacher at Western who uh, I think he's still at Trinity. He may, maybe he's retiring this year, John Feinberg. You mm-hmm. may have heard of
1: it. Yeah, I know who John Feinberg is. Yeah.
2: So John John was one of my profs at Western and had influence on me. So I was divided between systematics and New Testament, both great arenas. But I finally opted for New Testament for, for two reasons. One, I wanted I just wanted in my own work to work closer more more closely with the text mm-hmm. and then secondly the the school i went to i fuller seminary i felt like their new testament department was better than their old testament department yeah so i was i was equally interested really in the old testament but yeah i ended up applying to fuller and a couple other places and i was always more attracted to the new testament profs for some reason
1: and you particularly have not not solely focused because you're so prolific, but you've made a pretty focused study of Paul and uh, just talk about Paul's impact on your life and and how, you know, John Piper's wrote a book about Paul where he just, he almost talks about him in personal terms about how Paul's like, he feels like he's a friend, you know, because he studied him. Talk about Paul's impact on your life and why that became up. Even, you know, if you go, From the Bible to the New Testament to Paul, how that became a kind of focus study.
2: Yeah, well, of course I know Martin Luther. That's the first thing I want to say. (laughs) But coming out of Catholicism and encountering the Pauline Gospel, because I grew up hearing a lot of the Gospels. Not that I understood them before I was saved, but the clarity of Paul's teaching on justification by faith and not by works that struck me right from the beginning. And so I've I've always been dr- drawn, and of course I think it's in Jesus as well, right? Of course, but I've always been drawn from the beginning to study to study Paul, and then I suppose the way my mind works, I love the development of the argument in the in the epistles. Uh, yeah. that, that's not to say, of course, I love the narratives too, but right. I just felt a particular. Calling to that, and but I but I would say you know when you look at evangelicalism as a whole. Now I've been in evangelical circles for many years. In many evangelical circles, right, all they do is study Paul. That's bad.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. the, 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 sometimes the, I mean, my son Patrick, uh, I, uh, he is he has spent more time in the Gospels because we can't neglect the Gospels. But yeah, my. I mean, I've done commentaries on, I did a little one on Luke, and I've done Hebrews, 1st, 2nd, Peter, and Jude, and now Revelation. So I've actually spent a lot of time in, especially the general epistles in the end of the New Testament, but I haven't done as much in the Gospels.
1: That's 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 interesting how, you know, the Lord gives us certain, like, a focus and 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 how they, they're so meaningful to us. You talked about how much you love to write, and I, as a writer my whole life, I love hearing that. You know, it seems like there's some people who, Kind of have to write, you know, it's a chore, but then I, I feel like I like to write. You love to write. Like, is that kind of why you've been able to be so prolific and, and keep kind of cranking this stuff out? Just you you really enjoy doing
2: it. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, because we had four kids, a busy family. But when I have free time, what do I want to do?
0: Mm.
2: And i and we're all different, we all need to pursue different callings. But yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. I, I love it. I'm drawn towards it. So um, it's obviously it's work, right? There are times I'm tired. There's There are days that aren't good days, as in everything. But overall, I love it. And I'm drawn to it. And uh, it's been a great blessing. What a, what a blessing to have people, you know, people have helped finance me do it. You know, that's That's, that is wonderful. Many, many gifted writers out there. There's no one out there to finance them and they
1: haven't been able to do it. Do you think too, as a, you know, when you're writing, you're writing commentaries, you're writing uh, your new Testament theology, which is just great. And I just love uh, the magnifying God in Christ. And then your book on Paul, you know, when you write and send something onto the world, but particularly this stuff that's so helpful to pastors and teachers, you just kind of don't know how it's going to be used and how it's going to impact people. Right. I mean, does that, how do you feel about that? Like you're sending this out there. You don't know who's going to be on the other end of that. What pastors are going to use it and preach and people are going to come to Christ. Does that feel, fill you with, with joy when you think about the possibility of that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I've always written, I'd, I'd say, step back. I've always written what interests me and what I love. So. I feel, especially in spiritual things, what we love communicates. Mm -hmm. God uses it. Uh, God uses that passion in our lives. So, I mean, you know, writing a book is a complex thing because I also sense with the completion of every book, a sense of inadequacy. Like, how, I, how have I done this? How have I done Romans justice or Galatians or whatever this theology of the New Testament? There's always a sense of I haven't done it justice. And and I think this is a big issue for a writer. There's a point where you just have to let it go, mm-hmm. because if, if, if you're very perfectionistic, you can say, well, it's not perfect, but it's never going to be perfect. I mean, obviously, there's a balance there somewhere. Right. But. You've got to let it go and say, here's, here's what I have to offer, and I trust and hope it will be helpful to people. That's encouraging when it is. I think I've been more encouraged than discouraged because I suppose I didn't anticipate it. Maybe I just didn't have enough faith. I didn't anticipate it being received in any particular way. Um, I didn't really envision any particular response. I just wrote them and let them go. You know,
1: yeah. yeah and trust so, the Lord with it. Yeah. So I want to talk about we're entering kind of the, the Lenten season. We're we're headed toward Easter. You know, you've you're a New Testament scholar, and I think particularly on Paul. You know, the res obviously, I mean, it's a cliche, but you know, obviously, the resurrection is the bedrock of our Christian faith. It's it's particularly interesting to me that how. Paul grounds everything he is and does in the resurrection. I'm thinking of first Corinthians 15. And I don't, I guess the question I'm, I'm asking, you know, for Paul, and this is a, a dumb question, but I, I just want to hear you talk about Paul and the resurrection. That, that was everything to him, obviously. Right. And, and how much it informed his, you know, and changed his life and form his theology. So uh, maybe speak about how Paul, You know, I'm thinking of, you know, you have the gospel narratives and you have the eyewitnesses, right? Peter and John and the women, and then obviously the 500 witnesses. But then for Paul, it was a different experience, right? That he, the way he experienced the resurrection was a little bit different. So maybe just talk about why that's so central to his theology.
2: Yeah, well, that's interesting what you just said, because 1 Corinthians 15 starts, I was thinking of this today, anticipating our time together. You know, Paul doesn't emphasize the empty tomb,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which gospel writers do, but he emphasizes the appearances, mm. right? the the appearance to Peter and to James, the half-brother of Jesus, and as you said, uh, to the uh, 500. And then uh, another thing Paul points out is Jesus appeared to him so out of time, so to speak, so Paul had a resurrection appearance Mm -hmm. of Jesus in history on the Damascus Road. So fascinating, because if you read those three accounts, Acts 9, 22, and 26, the rest of the people there saw light, but they didn't see a person. But Paul saw a person. They heard sounds. If you put the three accounts together, they heard sounds, but Paul heard words. So, so Paul emphasizes, I saw the resurrected Lord in space and time. And he, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So there it is. His, the, his apostleship is grounded in the resurrection appearance of Christ to him, where he's commissioned as an apostle. So, you know, the take home for us is, and I'm not saying anything radical here, but we need to be reminded of this: our faith, our faith is rooted in in history and historical events that are true. Paul experienced that firsthand. Of course, you can doubt it. You can doubt anything, right? You can doubt you exist. <laughs> uh, I think I think that resurrection story. I, you know, this is out of Paul, but this is one of my favorite stories is when jesus appears to the apostles in the upper room in luke Luke 24 and they can't believe for joy and jesus says give me the fish right because they can't they can't believe it's really jesus but one thing they do believe in is the fish you know <laughs> yeah the physical no nobody in the room is having existential doubts about the fish <laughs> and uh And Jesus takes the fish and he eats it, right? So um, obviously you can doubt it, but the facticity, Mm. the 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 truthfulness of the resurrection. So the you know it's just good to be reminded of the, the the truth that the early the early apostles and witnesses believed because because they saw him. They didn't just believe. Jesus actually says you should believe because the Old Testament says it. <laughs> right. But That's not why they ended up believing first. They ended up believing because they actually experienced the resurrection. So that is that is fundamental for Paul. And then, as you've already alluded to, I mean, verses 12 through 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, then it's all for naught. Right. Your sins aren't forgiven. You, 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 have, you have no hope. Uh, we're false preachers. Uh, we, we should all go do something else. Uh, and and it is interesting because there are people, hopefully not in evangelicalism. I mean, I guess they're not an evangelical anymore, but there are people who are pastors and preachers who don't believe in the resurrection, but they still do the
1: work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, you know, that's, that's such a great, you know, if you think of Paul, where he's coming from, and what he gave up to be a Christian in terms of his family and his tradition and respect in terms of as a teacher of the law, he almost has to make that argument makes it first Corinthians fifteen of I've looked at all the evidence, right, and I had my own experience, but obviously he did research right because he knew about the five hundred witnesses, and he so he's making that apologetic case, right like guys, I'm not just Going with a fad here, like this is real, right? That's kind of what he's saying in First Corinthians fifteen, essentially, right?
2: Right, and but I think what Paul argues in Galatians uh, one is he argues, look, if I wanted to be esteemed by people, I would have remained a Jew, because because I was the shining young rabbinic student who was outpacing all my contemporaries. I was the star pupil. By becoming a Christian, I wasn't celebrated. I was uh, scorned. So, But what turned him around? Galatians 1 says, Jesus appeared to me. Mm. Uh, I had a revelation of Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. Mm. You know, the same thing with James, the half-brother of Jesus. John chapter 7, James, James his half-brother, didn't believe in him. But Jesus appeared to him. And after that, (laughs) surprise, surprise! James believed. After that,
1: yeah. And I, one of the things that I really has become freshly, you know, aware and precious to me about the resurrection about Easter is, you know, I think a lot of evangelicals we rightly see the resurrection as a vindication of everything Jesus said. That it proves that He's the Son of God. He proves that He is who He says He was. And we also think about the resurrection as you know, the, and the the cross and resurrection is saving our souls. But it's interesting that Paul also talks about the physical nature of the resurrection. And I just wonder if we think about that enough—that Jesus physically rose from the dead and what that means for us too. So, can you can you talk about the the, the kind of the physical nature of the resurrection and why it, it matters that Jesus His body rose again, and we too will rise again, our body yeah. and soul.
2: Yeah, I think that's a vital point. First of all, he emphasizes that in what we already talked about in the witnesses and the appearances. But secondly, in verses 12 through 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, so we don't have time to look at that, but I encourage those hearing to look at those verses four times. Paul says, such a fascinating connection. If you don't believe in the physical, resurrection of Christians, you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. Mm. You can't say, oh, I believe Christ was physically raised from the dead, but I won't be. Paul says, then you don't believe in the physical resurrection of Christ. Mm. So isn't that, isn't that fascinating? So the so the resu- physical resurrection of Christ is, is not just true of him, but it's a promise for ourselves. And for Paul, they're they're inextricably intertwined, right? They're indissoluble. You can't separate those two. And the, and the last thing I want to say, I could say a lot of things, but one question that is raised, as Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen, the resurrection body is raised as a spiritual body, and some people read that and say, oh well, and and he says flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. So some people read that and say, oh, well, then then the resurrection isn't physical, but it's spiritual. But it's clear from the whole chapter, he doesn't mean that it's not a physical body for Christ or for us. He means when he says it's a spiritual body, it's animated and empowered by the Spirit. He doesn't mean it's, it's not a physical body. And when he says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, he means this flesh and blood this corruptible flesh and blood. He means the bodies we have now. So he clearly believes, both for Christ and for us, that the resurrection is is irreducibly physical. And it's all the more striking, because I know you know this, Dan, and probably most of the hearers do as well. The Greeks did not prize the body. Mm. The Greeks prized the soul. Um, For them, the body was like a husk to just throw off. And the soul was what mattered, but that is not true in scripture. the body the body matters, and that's I mean there's so many things we could talk about, but that has so many implications for ethics, doesn't it? It Even really today. does
1: I actually wanted to ask you that because it does seem at times you know evangelicals are not obviously like the Greeks where we don't prize the body, but the, I do feel sometimes in our evangelical beliefs and churches that we don't think about a theology of the body enough, right that it's you know it, we're just souls that you know it's striking that paul takes a lot of hope in the coming resurrection of the body you know when he talks about oh, this body's wasting away we're in jars of clay and like that's what gives him hope and it seems to me especially in the world today with so much brokenness so much death you know we're in the middle of a pandemic mm. that this the message of you know this part of the message of easter that if you put your faith in christ you're he will restore not just your soul, but your body. It's such a precious truth that people need to hear, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And it reminds us the whole the whole person matters. The, mm. the, body, the body matters. I mean, that has implications for how we treat people who are in nursing homes, mm. right? And uh, in so many areas of our life. And if I can give a shout out to my colleague, Uh, Greg Allison yeah uh, who is writing a book on embodiment Mm. so say to everybody look uh, he's taught this course for years so um and I haven't been able to sit in the class but I'm looking forward to his book
1: yeah it's such an important message of Easter that he came to save not just our souls but our bodies even Jesus coming as a human being and you know it says that our bodies are good right that God loves human human bodies
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I guess the last question, if you, if you are, um, if you're talking to a pastor or, or someone who's a small group leader, somebody as, as we're headed into Easter and you're just, you know, pastors are preparing their Easter messages, uh, churches are probably gathering more than they did last year because uh, we, we all had to do it online for the most part last year. What message do you give? How could you encourage pastors as they're preaching on Easter? And I guess what message would you give to people who maybe are just regular Christians, they're not preaching, but they're they're thinking about Easter.
2: Yeah. Well, so many ways we could go, but here's the thing I wanna focus on. What clearly it's we're talking about a physical resurrection, but here here's the truth, and that is where there's death, God gives life. Mm. So that is so hopeful, right, is so hopeful for broken marriages, for sin that's afflicting us, for for people who don't know Christ, for cities that are shattered and broken. And and on and on we go. Now, I'm not claiming, right, I'm not I'm not claiming, you know, that loved one's definitely going to get saved that city is definitely going to be repaired. But I am claiming it can happen and it does happen. Mm. God God changes lives. I mean, he works out his purposes in his own mysterious ways. But God, this, this encourages me. God loves to work in dead places. I mean, I even say this to guys going out and pastoring. There's no guarantee. But God loves, you go to a church that's pretty dead. God loves to work in dead places. Go there, love the people, preach the word. You're not guaranteed that the church is going to come roaring back to life, but I, but you are guaranteed there's going to be life there through your ministry. God's word never returns void. So, so I love that message of Easter. He's in the tomb. It's over. No, it's not over. (laughs) It's not over. And, uh, we that's that's what we cling to on our deathbeds right when we're when we're dying and some of us will die slowly you, you i think satan's going to come and say to us it's over it's you it's, you're dying well but by faith we remember the resurrection it's not over where where there's death god brings life and that that impacts every part of our lives and that's uh super encouraging
1: mm-hmm. That's really good. Well, thank you, Dr. Schreiner, for your time and uh, for stopping by the podcast and really appreciative of your work, your scholarship. I have a lot of your books and they've been so helpful to me in my writing and my preaching and leadership. And I want to encourage folks, if you are thinking about going to seminary, which you should be, (laughs) you might check out uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and you could study with uh, folks like Dr. Schreiner. We'll have a link in the show notes, we'll have a link to some of Dr. Schreiner's books, but thanks for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it.
2: Uh, Thank you, Dan. And I'm, I've been encouraged
0: by your ministry and your writing over the years as well. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter. Or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book called The Characters of Easter. It's out with Moody Press. Thank you for listening again to the Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.